Welcome to episode 328 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty guys, welcome along to episode 328 of I Am Talk with Coach John Houston and Bevan James Oz. How you going mate? Good, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day because it's now show number two in the studio and it's still the 24th of August. <laughs> yeah. But in our world, but in your world, what date's there today John? It's the 11th of September. 11th? I've still got my Mac here, my, my um, iPad, iPad here. I'm still playing. Yeah. 75%. Pretty happy with that. Yeah. Okay then, uh, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofwhy.com <clears throat> Tasty coffee. Happy life. Athletics.com. <laughs> Lots of friends. Happy, happy life. And extreme endurance. No lactate. Happy results. Oh, nice. Again, this week's show, we've got, um, so it's, it's our series of Bevan's Gone to Europe IM talks. And uh, we've got, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got an age group of the week. We're going to have a discussion that Bevan's going to throw at John yeah. in the news. Um, we don't have a website. That's incorrect. Oh, John's history lesson. And then we're going to interview with Gordo. How long did that go for? About half an hour or so. Yep, good. We did that a few weeks ago. We did that about a month ago, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's actually two months old by the time you, you yeah. guys get it. So you'll hear that coming up later on. Well, you'll hear about that coming later on. Do, do you remember? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> News is proudly brought to you by SLS Try and what's coming up this weekend? I'm in Wales. Yes. So uh, I think it's the second year, maybe the third year they've had that over there. Um, and it's just a, a nice little tough course. You know, if you, we all go in search of these fast courses sometimes, beautiful paved roads and, uh, and uh, speedy times. But the guys in Wales last year, they've found um, pretty choppy seas. You know, it's a, swim in, in, uh, it's a sea swim, which has the potential to have some waves in it. The bike course, I believe, has, uh, you know, it's a, bit, a little bit rough um, in places in terms of the seal, a few hills, and then the run as well. And it was, a, it was a close finish last year. I remember it being very, very close. So good luck to everybody doing Ironman Wales. Also got a new event on the calendar coming up this weekend, Metaman. And good old Trudy from Metaman sent us through some information about the race. And this was a while ago, so I assume it's all up to date. But they've got um, they've attracted some pros to this race. They've got Erica Chomore, Belinda Granger, Belinda Harper, Lucy Zelnikova, and Candice Hammond and Katja Rabi. And they're still sorting out their guys again this was sent a few weeks ago but it's kind of a um so it's been held on Bintan Island which is just off the coast of Singapore um sounds like a really nice place to race they have done something quite unique here to try to make it more manageable in terms of the heat um <clears throat> I believe they're starting at around about one o'clock in the afternoon so then when you get onto the run you're going to be running in the coolest part of the day great very good idea yeah. um <clears throat> and you know what's the difference between finishing it you know, if, you, if you're one of the slower athletes finishing at 11 o'clock at night versus 3 in the morning? Yep. Probably not that significant. No, so, no, no, not at all. <clears throat> so um, they've changed the bike course, so it's, so it's almost as flat as Challenge Roth in terms of elevation, um, which the participants will appreciate. Because uh, Bintang can be continuous rolling hills in, port, um, in parts. And more importantly, as it's our first year, we want to give everyone attending the, the awards brunch free champagne to celebrate their achievements. It's going to be a fun weekend. So 
it'll be great to see how they go. They've got they've got good prize money. I remember when they, I was checking out the prize money there, it was um, it was really good. And they've they've got a few pros, so they're doing everything they can. Always hard at this time of the year to attract the uh, the top top pros because they're all getting ready for Kona. If you're interested in checking it out for next year, they've got they already set their race date for August the twenty fourth, twenty thirteen. So check that out at uh, Metaman. So whatever races have we got on? The high point on their course is only 60 metres above sea level. Same elevation as Challenge Road. And the run course is flat too. People are complaining about New York not being flat. It's one lap swim, one lap bike, thousands of cheering spectators. Also got the Grand Columbian coming up this weekend. Long term race, been around for a long time in Grand Cool Dam in the States and Challenge UK. You guys in the UK have got a lot of races to choose from these days. Got Challenge, you've got uh, the Big Woody we talked about a little while ago, you've got Ironman Wales, you've got Ironman UK, UK. you've got some races in Ireland now. Do you know what about the Poms? You've got that new. They they do the races. Yeah, but it's great. But they they do, but they used a lot of the time they used to go to European races, and uh, it seems now that they are supporting their homegrown races, and uh, it's good to see. There's some new races up in Scotland we talked about. It'd be good to be a Pommy Triathlete right now, wouldn't it? They just. Crushing everybody yeah, at yeah. every bloody distance, <coughs> male and female. It's very impressive. Well, not iron distance. <clears throat> you say it. Well, you have Chrissy. Good, yeah, Chrissy Wellington, Leander Cave. Not males. Not males. Who's the no. great hopeful iron distance for the UK? They don't have one. Tom Lowe, Tom Lowe. would be their the top guy, I'm thinking. And he's not fast enough swimmer, so he's never really going to make That's it. It's interesting they haven't had the guy. <clears throat> have there ever been a top Ironman Pommy other than Spencer? Uh, Spencer Simon didn't. Lessing I mean but again he was but he not Ironman Spencer Smith I wouldn't have classified as a great Ironman he had some really good results but didn't, but didn't win Kona didn't win, didn't win Kona um, I'd have to put my thinking hat on for that some of the early guys Glenn Cook and guys like that they were good swimmers but I don't think they necessarily got in the top three so did Spencer get top three? A, Kona didn't he? I don't think first so. Year he did I pretty think well. he got like fourth or fifth yeah he did mm. pretty well so John while, you, while you're doing that I was just <laughs> looking up Top 10, because John wants me to have a look at top 10 um, Kona results of all time for his history lesson this week. But um, what was really interesting, while I was doing that, I got distracted, because I often do, and triath- the competitive mag, triathlete.competitive.com, had the top 10 triathletes, Ironman triathletes of all time. Let's see who they are. So first of all, Craig Alexander, understandable. Mm-hmm. Definitely put him in there. Interesting, Cam Brown. Oh no, Mark Allen, no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Cam Brown. Mm-hmm. As we go through the series, you'll see how many good results Cam Brown has had at Kona. He hasn't won it. Often his results have been quite a distant second or distant third. He's never really been in the hunt to win it. Yep. But in saying that, Cam Brown, 10 New Zealands, mm-hmm. won the European Championships, mm-hmm. You know, had a great Melbourne, got second in Melbourne. He's, he's, he's a consistent performer. But there's one person who I didn't see the first time I looked through this, which I may put above Cam, um, Tim DeBoom. Yeah, yeah. Tim DeBoon outside of Kona, he won it twice. So, you know, obviously mm. a bit of legend, but yeah, no, I think you're right. I don't, I, I don't recall him having a huge, a huge amount of victories outside of Kona. Yeah, keep, okay. Keep it cranking. Then we have this is Tom Regal. Yeah, he's got funny running style, isn't he? He's just in front of Spencer Smith. There, there he is too, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Look at those cool glasses Spencer's got on. Then Mecca, no brainer. Um, Peter Reid. Oh, okay. I missed Peter Reid before. Yeah, it's because uh, he's got the bleached hair in that one. Um, Dave Scott Yeah Norman Settler Yeah And Luke Van Beard So Cam Brown's the only non Yeah I'd, I'd potentially 
potentially put maybe Lothar Leader in front of Cam Brown? I don't know. Cam Brown's probably had a, a more career. Career, career, but Lothar Leader was the first man to break eight hours, and he has he did get a podium in Kona. Um, he won Rote a few times, which was basically the, the European Championships at the time. Um, yeah, hard one to argue. Yeah, it is a hard one, isn't it? He's been, that's the most contentious one, isn't it? Mm, definitely. But you can kind of argue both sides, can't you? Mm. Um, okay, that was our discussion for this week. There you the go. Sponsor. SLSTry.com. Righty ho. Righty. <laughs> yep, compression socks. They've got two different sorts of compression socks, so you want to check it out. They've got the so they've got padded compression socks. So if you do like a little bit more of padding, and I was on their website um, yesterday and they're actually on special. Their padded ones were sixty bucks down from sixty four ninety five. And if you put the IM talk code in there, another twenty percent off. That's a good price for compression socks. They've got um, the black compression socks, um, which I've got a pair of. I've got a pair of the white and the blacks. uh, And also for the girlies, if you want to look a little bit more girly. Or if you're a slightly more feminine male, um, you could go for the butterfly compression socks. Nice. Nice, and they look pretty. And then if you don't like having the the socks version on, they've got the SLS compression day sleeves. Only $44.95 before discount. and, uh, And you can wear them for for all. Swimming, biking, you, can't, uh, you can wear them for swimming underneath your wetsuit, but for your biking and running as well, um, and they just don't have the foot part of your socks. So check out a full range of compression socks and compression gear as well at slstry.com, and remember to use the code IMTALK. Especially if you're travelling, eh? Good oh, thing yeah. To have, yeah. I didn't used to get kank. In my, my, my older years, Youthful I'm starting years, to... No, no, oh, as you're getting days, older. As I'm getting older, the cankles are starting to kick in a bit really? more. When I don't wear compression socks, so definitely be wearing them on the way to Kona. The good thing about the socks, because I once wore tights, I wore mm. the compression tights. A little, little, little hot. You get hot, yeah. yeah. You get really hot. Whereas mm. the, the socks kind of just get the area you need, and they yeah. work really well. So go to yeah. SLS Try, check them out. You're in for a bargain. Okay, let's put some music on for Age Group of the Week. Each group of the week. And this one's sent from the Juicinator, uh, Nick Morales, and he just said, it's been a while, hope all is well. Oh, hold on a second, is there two Juicinators now? I don't know. Oh, it's Joycinator, not Juicinator. Sorry, I was confused. It's the Joycinator and the Juicinator. Yeah. It'd be a good couple. It would yeah. be, actually. I'm yeah. sure Nick would love that. Yeah. yeah. Although he's probably a married man. <laughs> um, I'd like to nominate my 88-year-old, uh, an 88-year-old Bob Powers, from White Bear Lake, Minnesota, for Age Gripper of the Week, an amazing triathlete who proves and shows you that you can still be active and doing triathlons in your late 80. From June the 30th to July the 22nd, 23 days, 3 weeks, Bob travelled to three different triathlon events across Minnesota, um, the Mantino Triathlon, Timberman Triathlon, and... Chisago Triathlon. I think that probably should be Chicago Triathlon. Oh, okay. Uh, to be around fellow uh, racers and do one of the things he enjoys doing on the weekends, competing in triathlons. Oh, yeah. He took up the sport at the age of 65. Nice. Oh, that's crazy because he's been in the sport for 23 years. 23 years. Bob normally doesn't have too many people in his age group out racing with him, but this past weekend in Chicago Triathlon, he had an Ironman legend out on the course with him, 82 or 83-year-old Frank Farah, who is from the neighbouring state of South Dakota. Not sure what brought Frank to town, but it was quite a thing to see his elderly statesmen outshowing their elite and triathlon newbies that old people can race too. As a reference note, Track Ferry was in the Pamina City Beach this past November attempting to do Ironman Florida. Unfortunately, there was a strong headwind on the first part of the bike and he missed out on the bike cutoff. For Bob, 
At his age, it's not about times or PRs. It's about the conquest of finishing the triathlon event. When he does does go by at a race, athletes and spectators don't know him who don't know him are amazed to see him out on the course doing his sport. He loves showing people, including his friends, that it's all not about sitting around when you're getting old. He's got some pictures of Bob as well. Nice work, Bob. Um, that's Bob Powers. We've had a couple of suggestions for people um, for when we go to Kona. They've suggested one person who's a, an elder statesman as well to interview them because we interviewed that guy last time as well who mm. was uh, in his in his eighties, seventy seven years or eighties. No, I can't. Yeah, you can. That's why I asked. <laughs> um, good. Thanks. Yes, Bob, got a photo of Bob on his trick. Nice, no hero bars. Yep. Um, but I also I had an inquiry this week. I'm running this Ironman camp in January, and uh, one guy's pulled out and he said, "Oh, my dad would be quite keen to do it." His dad was 75 and he oh, was really? training for Ironman. And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> it's hard for you, but isn't it? Because yeah. logistically, yeah. But but he didn't actually meet the criteria because he had to be here for the earthquakes and stuff um, to be eligible for the camp. So that, okay. Um, but but just. I can't fathom my my dad. I mean, my dad's um, in that age bracket as well. I can't fathom him doing anything like this. I'm curious about how there he is again. He's got new bars this got time. Got bars this time. Yeah, it must be in the... There you go, Chicago. Nice. Love his work. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I can't fathom how the body feels at that age. You know what I mean? Because like, you look at old people... When they get to that age, they start to look a bit tired in the way they move. And I know, you know, you sort of lose that kind of thinking. So obviously there's lots of benefit to, to the older athlete doing exercise, but it's, it's just, yeah, it's hard to fear them, isn't it? It is. It's awesome, man, isn't it? I oh. do love the old... The guy we interviewed at Kona, the thing about him is he was, he was pretty quick, wasn't he? Mm. He had done like a 13 and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. So, no, it's got to be good for them. To, whether Iron Man is best for them, I'm not sure, but just great to see them staying active and, and setting an example for people that may not necessarily be even that old, but it's sort of coming towards what they think is the end of their athletic career and people like Bob can uh, motivate them to stay fit and active and healthy. So well, I, I think the other thing is well, with, with people like Bob is that there is that whole shit if he could do it, I should be able to do it thing. Mm. You know, like that, that's one of the appeals of our sport is that when you go to a taupo and you go watch your mate do a race and you see Cameron Balbo go by, you go, wow, that's amazing. But then when you see someone like Bob go by, you go, well, maybe I could do this. And I think mm. as much as you've never liked the sob story. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I just think it's a little bit too much of it, but it, that is what gets. Yeah, totally. Like I, for the majority of people doing our sport, it's seeing the everyday person <clears throat> achieving this amazing thing. And, and you know, when you see an eighty-eight-year-old guy doing triathlon, you, can, you can't just really look at yourself. Doing Ironman, it's crazy. I know he's done triathlon. No, it was Frank. It was yeah, Frank. Frank. But still, even just doing triathlon, you turn up to a race, you see a guy like that, you go, "Well, maybe I should give it a try." So, okay. you know, Bob, obviously Bob, you're a pretty amazing man, and I'm sure you're an inspiration to lots and lots of people out there. So keep it up. From White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Great name. Bob Powers, you are our age, age group of the week. week. Okay, Jumbo, we've we got a sponsor. <clears throat> we have Athlinks.com. Tell me about it. Rivals. We haven't talked about Rivals for a while, and I love bloody Rivals because I can go on there and I, onto Athlinks. I can pull up my my Rivals, and you can tick who you want to compare yourself against. So I've decided to compare myself against Murray, the Holy Hammer Lapworth. Well, John, I was actually where was I? I was somewhere a couple of weeks ago, and someone knew the Holy Hammer, and they said he's made a comeback. He is. He's doing the seventy point three Worlds last weekend. How did he go? Did he win? Outstandingly. If you followed his bloody race plan that he gave me, he went outstandingly. Really? Yes. Go to Lapworth. Go to Lapworth. What model? Because he, he totally left the sport for a while, didn't he? He did. He went over and he helped a guy um, train up for Challenge Kens, and he went over and did the 70.3. Had his slowest um, half Ironman he's ever done. Yep. And he was, to be fair, he was, he was a bit overweight, but out of shape. Did yep. it. 
got a 70.3 slot, thought, oh, Oh, really? Okay, then I'll go and do that. And so he signed up and he's got his ass into gear and uh, and trained up pretty hard for it. Oh, great. So he's doing well. But the Holy Hammer, for those of you who don't know, is an animal, isn't he? He trains like an animal. Yeah, he's pretty uh, He's pretty relentless when he goes out there and trains. He's not there to muck around, John. <clears throat> so he basically went on here, and, and Murray and I are not that similar in ability. I'm a, I'm a, to be fair, I'm a little bit quicker. You're way faster, But I can go on there. If you've got people that you are really similar to, um, you can basically go on there. You just tick next to each one, and you can go head-to-head matchups. So I can look here. I've probably got, I don't know, six or seven different races here where I've raced against Murray. Um, and it'll give us our, our final finishing time. It'll give us a difference if you're going head-to-head. You know, like I, I did a, a 10K against Murray, and I took him down by five minutes and 48 seconds. Um Another one did a, 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 a relay, Anglican block relay, took him down by 2.56. Um, How far was that? 4 5k. Then did a triathlon here. It's got, so it's got triathlon, running races, everything. Took him down by 18 minutes. So it's just a Are cool place. Are you just place. doing this to make him feel bad? Yeah, no, you're crap. You had a great race weekend last weekend, though. But it's just one of those cool things. If you've got some people that are on athletes, you know, you know mates and stuff, if you want to, if you have a debate. Let's be honest, when you have a race and you've got to race with a mate, what's the first thing you do? You see where they finish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you check out the results. You go and you have your race. You go, yep, I've had a pretty good race. And I'm going to check out where they are. And if they're doing good, you just want to let them know that too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Who else have I got on here? Did you got lots of people on there, haven't you? I've got lots of rivals. You can confirm Tony Buckingham. Tony Buckingham. Anyway, we're blabbing that. You can basically just compare yourself against who you want to. Um, Paul Watt or Andrew Black. I don't think Andrew's ever beaten me, I don't think. Or I think it's going to happen soon, but... Well, you know, now's the time you're going to lose Andrew Black Factor, aren't you? He did beat me by one second when he tried to see, he sprinted past me in a 5k the week before the Christchurch Marathon. So he had a one second victory there. Yep. I took him down by a minute in a 15k race. Hagley relays 15 seconds. You still got to, yes, he'd kick my ass if we raced at the moment. Yep. He's training up for Kona. He's He'll be Kona. in Kona in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, we have to interview him. Yes. Yeah. So check it out, athlinks.com. Rivals is a very cool feature. Okay, guys, so that's athletics.com. Now we're going to interview, and it's uh, apparently brought to you by Coffees of Hawaii, and it's with Gordo. And what did we talk to Gordo about? I can't she even remember. asked me this at the start of the show, and I can't remember. Ha ha, but I remember John. Uh, <laughs> after my prompting. Because we talked to him about the idea of doing an Ironman over three days, really, isn't it? It's, it's a good way of getting an intense training block up. A few times before you lead up to an Ironman, isn't it? I quite like this view of Gmail. I didn't realise you could do it this oh, way. I'm not talking about your iPad. It is. You can have the preview message on the right. I didn't know you can do that. Yeah. Oh, mate, that's going to save me a lot of hassle. <laughs> Once you go Mac, John, you never go back. But anyway, here's Gordo. He's not talking about his Mac. <laughs> Although he's got one. Here we go. Righty-ho. Um, back from Endurance Corner, we've got uh, Gordo Byrne back on the show. Welcome along, Gordo. Hey guys. Right, we've got uh, the topic this week is uh, is how to qualify for Kona, and uh, you've got some specific articles on Endurance Corner, and one of them is um, part two, sort of a core block, and uh, we're just going to talk through that. But is this going to have the the Gordo Burn guarantee that if you if you do these sessions, it's guaranteed uh, to Kona, guaranteed Kona slot? Yep. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think you know. Actually, that's a topic that comes up on our athlete, you know, kind of on our team message board every so often is, you know, can can a normal person get to Kona if they just work their ass off? Um, And a decade ago, I think it was far easier uh, than today. I think today people are learning how to race. A lot of people have been trying to get there for a long time. 
And so it's, it's, it's a lot tougher to qualify. So I'm not able to give the, the Gordo guarantee on it. <laughs> 10 years ago, you could have. Well, you know, I mean, when I qualified, I, I qualified my second year of racing. It was, it was different. And as well, at the Ironman races, the roll down used to really roll. Like it would go, it'd go a while. I mean, now with so many Ironman races, they pulled all the slots off. I mean, there used to be Olympic distance slots. You could qualify an Olympic distance and they're pulling them off of the 70.3 races now. And it's just getting a lot more competitive, even in the large age groups. Mm -hmm. uh, still pretty tough. So, uh, actually, very, very tough. So what was your sort of motivation around the series? You know, we're looking at part two here, but, but um, did it just sort of stem from people constantly asking you, you know, what are the key workouts we should be doing, et cetera? You know, I read, I read a lot of high-end training advice uh, on the Internet and in books and magazine articles. And I, I just felt, based on my own experience, both with my own racing and then helping men and women get to Hawaii, that there was there's a lot of misconceptions and there's a lot of stuff missing uh, from what it takes. And Alan and I wanted to write a book. We've been talking about writing a book about it for years, and we we just we couldn't get a block of time for us to write the entire book. So we thought we'd just do it in pieces via a series of articles across a year, which would get the outline of the book out there and get that information out there to help people. Um, and, and so it's all key topics that I think a lot of folks either don't want to do or aren't aware of these techniques. So it's really just kind of spreading the word uh, on what it takes. And so how big a series is it going to be? You know, again, we're talking about part two today, but um, how, how big is the series you're going to be doing? And is it going to cover everything or just a whole bunch of workouts? Yeah, well, this is... This is really part two, but this is part two of the specific preparation block. So if, if listeners go to endurancecorner.com and they click on our library, they're going to find a section in there called How to Qualify for Kona. And in that section, there's already 15 articles or so. Oh, great. Uh, and, and it's been a real popular series. I mean, we've had, you know, over, I mean, thousands of hits on it and so the information is getting out there and it really it starts if you read them in order it kind of starts with an introduction setting your week up uh, base training uh, and then you've got kind of like base volume type overload and we're shifting now into the specific preparation in terms of getting ready for an Ironman race I think myself included when I first started training for these things I thought the idea was to get really fast and that would cause me to do workouts that were inappropriate relative to where I was at at the time with my development. And so this, this section on specific preparation talks about, well, what does it mean to specifically prepare to do a really fast Ironman? And it's not a lot of VO2 work. It's not even a whole lot of threshold work for most people. It's getting ready to get out there and train all day long and then run a pretty decent marathon when you're very tired and that's what it's about and and this article where I sent you guys the link the core block is is where it all comes together so your base training uh, the key workouts that you've done in your build-up to towards say the last seven weeks before the race prepare you to get through this core block and the background of the core block, you remember when the Swedes came down for the first time to train with us, yeah, Johnny? Yeah. 
So Jonas Colton, Klaus Bjorling. And Klaus was just an age grouper back then. And I remember Johnny comes in from the ride and he's just like, these guys are just axes. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> drop my ass all over the place. <laughs> and all he wanted to do back then was drop you on the bike. <laughs> he changed when he became an elite and, and, and he mellowed out of it. But in that block, that, that year, either the first time they came or the second time, Colting uh, finished second at, at Ironman New Zealand. And part of it, we thought he was insane because he did this thing called the mini Ironman. And, and we, just, we were just like, he's going to die. He'll never recover. And then he finished second. And we're kind of like, oh, all right, well, maybe there's something there. And that was really the first time that I saw somebody do what I call now big day training. And then around this concept of big day training, you know, swim, bike, run across the entire day, I started, I, I started playing around in my own stuff with doing effectively a broken Ironman across uh, a weekend. And then from doing the broken Ironman across the weekend, it, it, it's grown to this concept of a core block of training. So it's not about getting through one workout or crushing a particular session. It's about getting through an entire long weekend. When you add that long weekend up, it ends up being more than an Ironman. Um, but it's broken up. You get to sleep, uh, and it's got some variable pace work in it. So it, it really lets you dial in what your limiter is going to be on race day, either nutrition, hydration, pacing, run endurance, bike endurance, whatever. If you do this core block a couple times before your race, you're going to know where you're at. And that's the idea. Also, a lot of people, particularly folks that are find they're falling short on the marathon, the reason they're falling short is they're, they're probably a little bit clueless on pacing. Everybody goes charging out on the swim and charging out on the first 60K or 40 miles of the bike, and they, and they just blow, they just ruin their day in the first three or four hours of the race. These long weekends of training, similar to what we've done at Epic Camps and the Endurance Corner Camps, where you're going day after day, really lets you dial in what an appropriate pace is for the bike. So, you know, again, we're talking here about how to qualify. So for, for people that are listening to this and they're not in that range where they're going to qualify, you know, they're either middle of the pack or back of the pack, would you be advising these workouts for them in the same sort of period when they're, they're building up for their A race this season? Or I know it's, a, it's hard to generalise across all athletes, but say you're talking an, an average middle of the packer, would you be prescribing something different to them or, um, or, or very similar? Very similar, but I'm going to be spacing. You'll see in the article, it's basically four days of training. And I think for somebody that's more mid-pack or back of the pack, you're going to spread those workouts out over five to eight days. Mm. And so it will be more uh, recovery, and they're going to be able to bounce back from it. I think that would be the difference. The other thing, too, is the run. The, the key run in this core block is 18 to 20 miles. And you and you got to have a look at what, you know how long that's going to take somebody who's mid-pack or back of the pack. Because it doesn't make sense. If somebody's, you know, if somebody's looking at a five-hour marathon, it doesn't really make sense to send them out for a four-hour run. Um, you know, that's just that's just going to be silly because they're going to be they're going to be shot to pieces probably for anywhere from four to ten days, and you lose too much training when you get really give yourself a run beatdown. Uh, and so, I think you just need to be 
conscious of the recovery aspects because you don't you, you don't want to go through this block and have to take two weeks off. That defeats the purpose of it. Um, so you spread out. Really, that's what that's what all athletes will be doing through the base phase is building up their capacity to handle each of the days, and then bringing the days closer together. And then ultimately on race day, you do it all without stopping on a single day. Um, and that's how, that's kind of my approach. And that's, that's my approach for Ironman. It's also my approach for ultra running, uh, and any type of ultra event is get your, you know, have the ability to do it in pieces and then bring those pieces together gradually, uh, a specific preparation. So we're going to, we'll go through the the days sort of day by day in a moment, but in terms of your preparation for this three, four, five day block, whatever it ends up being, um, do, do, would you be recommending athletes need to be sort of tapered to go into this? You know, having several easy days, or maybe just an easy day before and then and then crack into it, or do they need to be well rested? I think you definitely want to back off. So you you definitely want to back off for say two or three days. Um, but if it's, if it's done properly and you back off a little going into it and you back off a little coming out of it, then the following week you should be able to get back into your normal week. Mm. So if you, know, if, you, if you think about this block is being put in the middle of, say, a 10 to 12-day period, okay, with easy days on either side of it, after those easy days you should be able to roll back into your normal training. Because the idea initially, the first the first time you do it, is just do the block. Don't try and crush it. Don't try and you know. Don't try and race it. Just do it. Because almost everybody, when they do the block, kind of has this aha moment. It's like, oh, now I get it. I'm not going to be able to go. You know, I'm not going to be able to do a eight to ten hour tempo workout on race day. And that's a big realization for a lot of folks that okay, I'm going to have to back off. And I'm going to have to, most of the day is going to be just a steady aerobic effort cranking through to put myself in a position where I can use my two, three, four hours of tempo, either primarily on the run and maybe on a couple of the key climbs within, within the event uh, to have their best day. And that's the, whether you're, that's the same whether you're shooting to qualify or uh, you're just trying to get through the event. You're gonna have you're gonna have so much fitness that you can apply in terms of the above that average race effort. You got to put it where you get your bang for your buck, primarily on the run, and then in a few places possibly where there's climbs if you're, you know, you've got the stamina to uh, to do that. Cool. So um, so so run us run us through the days. Okay. So I, I mean, let's just talk about it broad before we get into specifics. Going into this, normally if you say anything like race sim or time trial or benchmark, people are really antsy. So to try and mellow them out a little bit, I have what I call a shakedown day. And the first day is a swim, it's, it's a swim, bike, run day. You're going to do all, you're going to do all three sports. And the idea is to get about 4,000 meters worth of swimming and then about a two-hour brick in there. And the brick has... Um, the brick has two by 30 minutes steady. And then inside those 30 minute blocks, you do 10 minutes worth of big gear at 70.3 effort. So it gets your heart rate up a little bit, gets your work rate up a bit, but it shouldn't be particularly demanding because you're coming into it fresh. I find the shakedown day works great because it, it mellows the athlete out. If an, if an athlete is coming off, say Johnny, when you were talking about freshening, mm-hmm. if an 
says, okay, I'm going to be super fresh for this. And they back off for like four to five days of really low volume um, with just pickups, you know, kind of like a race week. And then they go straight into their big day. It's, re- it's near impossible for them to hold back um, at the start of that day. And to, so I find a little bit of exercise that day one helps them have a better uh, big day simulation. And then the, uh, the idea with the big day simulation is a really big day. So you're going to be training across the entire day. And that's going to let you see what, you know, kind of where you're at. And the idea uh, with each of the workouts, swim, bike, and run, is to have them be relatively continuous. So particularly on the bike, you, you want to choose a route where you don't need to sop a lot and you can kind of keep it rolling. And, I, you know, I, I think I might have got that bike workout. It's definitely something we used to do in New Zealand. I might have even got it off of you, Johnny, the idea where you split the bike into thirds. Yep, yep. And you go a little bit easier for that first third. You go bang on the effort for the middle third, and then you go a little bit above race power uh, for the final third. And if you've got the ability to lift and your heart rate doesn't go crazy and your effort doesn't go crazy – then you, you got an idea that odds are you're probably bang on. You're probably about right for that middle type effort to set yourself up to run a decent marathon. Um, and so it's, it's real simple. Just split it into thirds, a little under, at, and a little over. Um, and that's following a swim where the, sw- the idea with the swim is I like it to be at least 4,500 meters because I want the swim to be tougher than the athlete is going to face on race day. And the reason for that is athletes will find that their heart rate and their fatigue on a bike is very different if they swim first uh, in terms of heart rate response and, and you know, kind of how, how things are going. And because the reality of the Ironman swim is you're probably going to be swimming a little more intensely than you want and then you realize we need to simulate that in training. So again, really simple. The total swim distance would be 4,500 meters, and that's going to include 8 by 400. And you descend 1 to 4, so that means each one is a little bit quicker than the one before. And then for 5 to 8, you try and have the 400 be quicker than its respective one um, before. In other words, 5 is a little quicker than 1, 6 is a little quicker than 2, 7 is a little quicker than 3, and so on. And there's not a lot of rest here. So the odd swims, and that's important, the odd swims have 10 seconds rest and the even swims have five seconds rest. And that's going to flush out a couple things. It's going to flush out if your mind is able to tell how hard your body's working in the water. And for many people, even very experienced athletes, that's not the case. I mean, you'll see them blow up every single time in a master's workout once they get to about an hour. And in Ironman, it's, it's quite important. You, you don't want to start way too fast because if you're having to recover 1K off the beach, that's a, that's a complete waste of energy and, and you can't afford to waste energy. So the idea is to give you comfort on how easy it's going to feel at the beginning of the race to have an appropriate race effort. So, so in terms of that swim, is there any rationale um, why people wouldn't do a straight swim or is it more just so it breaks it up mentally for them? It breaks it, it breaks it up for them, and it also, in effect, they're going to get splits in terms of their pace and their ability to increase and decrease pace and control their pace. Uh, you can you can fool yourself if you just jump in and say, "Hey, I'm going to swim 2.4 miles 
because what will happen is your effort is going to increase, but your pace might not be increasing. So by making it 400s and looking at the actual splits and then thinking about the effort to derive that split, particularly the faster splits towards the end of the workout, it's really going to bring home uh, whether they have a pacing limiter. Uh, because folks go absolutely bananas at the start of the swim, and then they have a huge lull when they're trying to clear all the lactate out. And there's no point. That's, that's, a, that's a waste of energy on the day. And then some of the other workouts that you'll find that are linked up in the series, particularly there's an article called Benchmarking Your Swimming, goes into this in a lot more detail, uh, you know, how to swim and how to train your swim in Ironman. Um, I, it's, it's, a, it's a big topic. It's one that I think is overlooked by a lot of people just because the swim is short. I mean, the swim may not be decisive, but if you're shot to pieces after the swim, it can really set you back uh, for the whole day. And that generated in the swim can pop up halfway through the marathon when you, when you need to be at your effort, but you're not able to. So a decent swim, that bike that's split by thirds. And then what I'd like to do is a 10K run. And I found 10K is long enough that you can get a good idea of how tired you are from the bike. And the idea is you do a huge recovery drink. And by huge, I mean really big. Like I'll throw down a liter of sports drink or recovery drink when, when I'm sitting there in the parking lot. And then that's going to give me that totally full and bloated feeling um, that you get sometimes during the race. And the goal in the first two kilometers is to run slow and just settle my stomach. And the fact that you've been able to do that in training and you've taught yourself how to relax your breathing, not panic, just stay nice and easy is a really useful skill to have on race day. And then after that, I like to benchmark eight kilometers, which is five miles, at the bottom of the athlete's steady heart rate zone. How does it feel? What's the pace? Is my pace as have I completely fallen apart or have I, you know, am I only losing about 20 seconds or 30 seconds per mile? And that'll give you a great read on where you're at in terms of how much that swim and bike took out of you. Because when, when the whole workout's done, you've still got 20 miles to go on race day, 20 miles. And so it really brings it home. You know, am I ready to do a 20-mile tempo workout at the end of this big day? If the answer is no, well, then you're going to have to dial everything down. Because your best race is going to result from being able to do that 20-mile tempo workout at the end of that big day. Just pausing the interview to have a quick talk about Coffees of Hawaii. Uh, sponsor of the show, John, what's the goss? This is another one of the medical benefits of being addicted to coffee. And you'll have to go to Facebook. Why don't you do that? Go to Facebook while, while I'm on here because somebody did send through this link and I've got to give them a bit of love. Um, heart disease beat. Heart disease beat. Of a study of 130,000 people, those who reported drinking one to three cups of coffee per day were 20% less likely to suffer from abnormal heart rhythms, arrhythmias, than non-drinkers. Really? There you go. That's pretty significant, isn't it? 20%. That's massive. Why would you not go and get some coffee? And why would you not get coffees of Hawaii coffee, Bevan? That is amazing, John. It is. That's a pretty good fact. Okay, so what coffee do you want to talk about today? So if you want to go to... Uh, we don't want to... Oh, goodness, a bit of an explosion in yeah. the house. Um, 
So if you want to get any coffee, go to coffeesofhawaii.com, use code IAMTALK, you get a nice 20% discount. And the person who sent these through has sent us through a post on our Facebook page, which is taking a little while to scroll. Scroll down there, <laughs> scroll down there. The person who had a photo up there, which we talked about two weeks ago, Victoria Marior took a picture of uh, Paul, Paul from, from the, the UK. UK. Nice work, Paul. Yep. Coffee fact? Coffee fact. Mark Tickner. He's been sending through all the coffee facts. Thank you, Mark. Okay, so coffees of Hawaii, what coffee would you choose, John? Uh, well, you've got to go for a, a Molokai one, get it from where it, where it all starts from. Yep. Or the Molokai or a Kona one. What about a Three Island Blend? And Three Island Blend is a good time. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. Then, you get a, then you get a blend of all of them. <laughs> yeah, you get a bit of Molokai, you get a bit of Kona, and you get a bit of Maui. Tell me this, Bevan, is it worth going to Maui for, say, one night? Contemplating whether or not to go over there for a night on the way back from the Kona camp with Belinda. Uh, I haven't been there. Mm. No, not one night. Mm. No. No. No, because one night you need – you've got to do three nights. Because if you do one night, you kind of – you pack up, especially if you've been there for a week, you've got to take a lot of stuff, aren't you? Yes. You know, you've got to take all the stuff and you've got to take it to Maui. And then you have to spend the night, and you get up in the morning, you pretty much got to pack and go. Mm. So I'd say no. Okay. If you can extend it to three, could you make that happen? Can't make it happen. Okay, flag it. But what you could do is you could get a three-island blend and say it's just like being a Maui. And there's a picture of the coffee boat. We're going to be out there in a couple of weeks' time, Bevan. Oh, exciting times, John. It is. Okay, then, coffeesofhawaii.com, guys. Here's our Gordo again. So um, when you say the bottom of your steady heart rate zone, for you, when you're talking to athletes... Would the top of their steady zone be um, around about their Ironman pace? So that's question one. And question two is, would they? why not run this run to pace rather than heart rate? Like if they go, right, I know my best case average pace for, um, for an Ironman, um, why not just go out and, and run at that pace? I would, say what, I would say what's the basis of your best case Ironman pace? With a, a lot of people have no idea. They just, you know, for whatever, they, they get a formula out of a magazine article or they talk them into something. What, what I want to see is we're going to know what that pace is to heart rate based on training. So you're going to have fresh runs where you warm up and you do, say, five, you do five miles or 10K at the bottom of your steady heart rate zone. So you'll have that pace. Now let's do, let's do seven hours of exercise and let's check that pace again and see where you're at. Uh, that's the idea there. So it's it's more on a benchmark how much this stuff took out of you versus your normal training paces. So that be, and the following day is going to involve some pace work. But in terms of in terms of gauging stress and gauging fatigue, I like to choose a heart rate. I find the heart rate is really good for indicating stress, um, overall stress. So heat stress, how tired the athlete is, whatever. If the heart rate completely rockets up. And the athlete's having to back off, you know, a minute or two minutes per mile from the normal paces. Well, then you know that that's a sign that impending doom is coming. So we're going to have to look at the power file and look at how fast they were going in that swim and really help that athlete dial it down so that they, they actually have a chance to run the entire marathon. Cool. Um, and how should an athlete be sort of feeling after to day, day two, you know? Um, should they be feeling shelled? Should they be finishing this session going, you know, it was pretty pretty cruisy, I'm, I'm sweet? Um, how, do, how, do, how do the well-performing athletes you deal with um, sort of fear up after day two? Uh, tired. I mean, they're the same. <laughs> not wasted. 
your heart rate, you know, it was, it took some focus to get that run done, but it wasn't too bad. Um, and that would be, that's what you're shooting for. You're shooting for tired, but not wasted. Uh, maybe a little bit of fear about getting through that run the following day. It's like, wow, I got that run coming. Better get on my recovery. I mean, I used to go sit, you know, I used to go sit in a creek, get, get my, get my core temperature down. And then I would go, you know, go have a, go have an, uh, a nice meal, a really good meal. And then I'd just go home and try and get my legs up uh, because I knew that run was coming the next day. And that, the run's a real challenging run. Mm. And, and then you move on to day three. Yeah. So that's, this is, this is the run and, and the run, and, and this is, there's some, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're talking about today, which is supplemental. But the key thing about this run is heart rate must never exceed 10 beats per minute below your average heart rate for a 70.3 where you ran well. All right? So let's let's just wrap some numbers around that, okay? Let's say for me, get my heart rate to about 163 on a half Ironman where I'm going to run well, okay? So 163 was my average. I'm going to knock 10 off of that. So my heart rate cap for this entire workout is 153 beats per minute. Okay? It's important to have a heart rate cap. The reason being is that's going to keep you from racing. And it's also going to keep you in a zone, an effort zone, which is specific for Ironman marathon training. Because you might be able to, because if you go out and you end up doing three by five miles, which is the main set, at half marathon pace and half marathon heart rate, and you tell yourself, great, I'm ready for my Ironman, well, you're, you're training the wrong intensity zone. So you're training too intensely. So part of the goal with putting the heart rate cap in there is to keep, uh, keep things in check a bit. Uh, and also to give you an indication towards the end of the run, if you find that heart rate is creeping up towards your, your, uh, your ceiling, then odds are your pace target is too fast. Uh, relative to what you're likely to be able to do on race day. Okay, so the run itself is 18 to 20 miles, and you insert three by five miles at eight to 12 seconds per mile faster than goal pace. Now, what's goal pace? I would recommend for most people their goal pace is their normal, uh, their normal pace at the bottom of their steady zone. Um, so it's it's somewhere between easy and steady pace the first time you try this workout. Now, if I was coaching somebody, before we put this run after a big day, we will have tried to do this run just on its own during the week, uh, you know, a few weeks in advance, just to get a feel for what's going to happen if we, uh, you know, to try and dial in those paces. Um, so we've done the workout separate before we try and put the workout together in terms of a series of days. Mm-hmm. What about, you know, so they've, they've done the session, any particular recovery they should do on that particular day? You know, do you re- generally recommend a spin after that workout or just to go and recover? Yeah, great, great, uh, great question. I think a, a key aspect of all these days is putting some thought, wrapping your head around how are you going to get your fluids uh, across the day, how are you going to get your nutrition across the day, and to make sure you're drinking and eating at race efforts. Um, so that's really important on the bike, and even even in between the swim and the bike on on that big day on day two. On the run, what I like to do is if I'm going three by five miles, this 
there's there's a five and a quarter mile loop in Boulder around the Boulder Reservoir. So I could go, I could do loops of that, and I could have a quarter mile where I back off my pace to end the loop. And at the and at the end of each loop, I had a cooler, and I would drink a bike bottle of cold diluted sports drink at the end of every five and a quarter miles. So I would also be training my hydration. And then for post-workout recovery, I, I really like just uh, rice milk with a couple of scoops of protein powder in there. And I used to just shake it up over ice. And that made me easy to digest carbs and a little bit of protein. So I used to do that um, for my post-race recovery and post-workout recovery. And then I tend to just eat normal food, uh, try and eat really healthy across uh, all the days. Now, in terms of using supplemental training, like a spin, I've had uh, some some mornings I wake up on day three and I'm like, ah, oh, my legs feel really stiff. So yeah, I might actually spin before the run. So 20 to 30 minutes maybe before the run, just really easy just to get some blood flow. And that would be part of my run workout. And I would go power high cadence just to get my cadence set up. And then I can get into my run set a little bit uh, quicker and feeling a little fresher. Uh, generally speaking, after that run, I am really tired. So after day two, I'm tired. After day three, I'm really tired. So I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of spins or supplemental stuff. Uh, day four, day after, uh, almost always get a massage, uh, and it's a mellow day. So easy swim, light strength, easy spin um, with a massage, and that would be how I would handle the overall recovery. Um, we had a question here um, from Rob Dallymore. He said, uh, I think you've pretty much answered the first part, that the, the, the core block is done on four consecutive days. Um, then what would you typically do? You've got your, on your article, you've got the first day of recovery, but what would you typically do in the couple of days after that sort of first recovery day? Okay, well, let's, let's, wrap, some, Alan, let's wrap some days of the week around this. So let's say day one was a Friday, day two is a Saturday, day three is a Sunday, and day four is an easy day, uh, which would be a Monday. Um, that would mean the athlete is then going into Tuesday. Now, typically, if I'm coaching an athlete, I might have their Tuesday be a long run day. But it's, if you've just done a long run two days earlier, you're definitely not going to be doing another long run. So I'd probably make that an aerobic brick day. So it would be a, a bike ride and a run that day. Uh, the following day would be a Wednesday. That's normally uh, a swim-oriented day for most folks. So I would, do, uh, I would do the normal Wednesday swim and see what happens. How's the athlete feeling? Are they coping? What kind of soreness is going on? Thursday would normally be a strength-oriented bike uh, with a transition run. And maybe I would reduce the nature of that main set, uh, like make it a little easier. Uh, but I would keep that as a brick day, the normal brick that would be done on Thursday, maybe just a bit shorter, um, not quite as intense. Maybe there's no mod hard in there, a little bit steady. And again, just see how, they, see how you're feeling. Friday would be, uh, normally that's a swim day uh, with some strength, possibly a run. So I would see, you know, do that as a normal Friday and see how you're feeling. If that normal Friday leaves you feeling a bit flat, um, you're a little unsure, then the weekend needs to be light because what you want to avoid is having a series of really, really tough weekends back-to-back, -back, which then puts you in a hole before your race. So, so the following weekend, you got to call an audible on it based on how your recovery goes. If you've had a highly structured weekend like this core block, I would recommend a less structured weekend that follows it. 
normally that, that following weekend would be more bike oriented and it would be much less in terms of main sets. So maybe some hills, uh, much more enjoyable, uh, for the athletes. So they're not having to stay down on the aero bars and be super focused, um, a little less pressure. And then ideally you should be into a completely normal training week by that stage, by that next Monday. Uh, and you're, you're just back to your regular program. So then you would do a normal week and then following that normal week, you could have a normal couple Monday, Tuesday, freshen up for a few days and then maybe try this uh, core block again. Uh, certainly an athlete that was getting ready for Kona should be in a position to try the core block again uh, if they thought they needed it there or you try the core block the following weekend. So you got a, you got in the article for for an experienced athlete you might be looking at doing this um, <clears throat> sort of three six and nine weeks out from their from their main race. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to uh, to look at it. I mean, when I was in in one of these articles, the one that we published today, where I talk about how fast feels. Um, see, I did an eight twenty nine Ironman using these principles, and I was doing it. I mean, across a nine-week block, including the race, I probably did this core block maybe five times. <clears throat> now, advanced elite uh, approach, and and so somebody that has a job and other things that may impair their capacity to recover uh, is going to need to spread it out more. And I think nine, six, and three. Uh, by the time you hit that three, you'll have a really good idea of what's doable, both in terms of your bike pace and uh, your core pace for the for the marathon run. And that's oh, we lost you. No, I'm still. Oh, okay, sorry. sorry. Um, Rob, Rob had some, some questions also around um, the metric Ironman, but I think we're going to cover that one off on on another day. The the only qu- other question um, I sort of had around this is, and I think I asked Alan the same question when we spoke to him a few weeks ago, is you guys in in the states and in, in many parts have been experiencing some some pretty extreme heat this summer, so. How would you potentially adapt this session, or would you adapt it um, when you're just getting consistent, you know, day after day of, of very high temperatures? Or if you live in, you know, maybe the southern areas where it, it's always, you know, close on 100 during the peak part of summer, would you adjust it? Would you get them on the treadmill, or um, what would you do? First thing is, athletes that live in Central Florida and Texas should not expect to have their best race in August. I mean, it, it just goes without saying. It's kind. Of common sense but uh, I'm so sign up for races that will let you put great training in the best time of year to train that's that's number one because you just it's really really if you live if you live in Hong Kong it's going to be tough to peak for Ironman New York say all right it's just the way it is because July and August are brutal in terms of heat stress uh, so try and match just because it's summer, if you live in the deep south, um, that's really where your transition period should be rather than your key training block. Um, so that's the first thing. Now, if you live someplace like Colorado, uh, it's going to be hot, but it's not going to be so hot that you can't train. And it may be hot on race day. So my advice would be uh, choose a run uh, You know, for that 10K run off the bike. You need to get a reality check on where you're going to be on race day if that's the case. Because if you're, for example, if you're in Boulder or Colorado and you're training to race up in uh, Canada, uh, it could be, you know, it could be hot on race day, and you need to see what happens in the heat. So you need to adapt 
your bike effort to the reality of your conditions. And what that means, there's a couple things that means. Don't spike. Don't spike your power and don't spike your heart rate, particularly if you're a large man. Um, the bigger you are, the more uh, stable your power output has to be because once you heat up and overheat as a large man, you're pretty much done unless you stop, get in the shade, get yourself in the water to get your core temperature back down. So you, you need to have a, a cooling strategy um, would be sort of my advice. The other thing would be on this run, um, run early uh, rather than I, I think it, it can be tempting to say, oh, you know, I'm going to toughen myself up for this long run and I'm going to wait until, you know, two in the afternoon uh, to do the long run to really maximize my heat stress. That, you know, that is excessive. So the purpose of these key sessions is to have great training. Uh, so if it is going to be hot, my advice would be run early. Uh, but then on race day, if you're facing humidity and you're facing heat, you're going to have to back off. And one of the things I'm working on with one of the guys that I advise for Kona, we, he's, he's in really good shape, but we, we don't have a good feel for what his Kona marathon core pace is. So we're going to have a couple key workouts where he's going to put himself in extreme conditions, humidity and heat, and we're going to try and do one of these runs that I outlined the three by five miles. Actually, we're not going to do the run. He's going to do the run. <laughs> you got to do it with him if you want. Right. And, you know, maybe on a mountain bike. And the, the idea is uh, because you're, there's, there's a pace that you can handle when it's 62 degrees and low humidity Fahrenheit, and there's a pace that you can handle when it's humid, hot, and you're in direct sunlight. And one of the things uh, this athlete did in Ironman Texas, one of the things we found in Texas, the conditions were extreme on the run. And he, didn't, he felt that he didn't really know where to start or where that core pace was. And so the idea is to equip him with the, all right, well, what's, what's a doable pace where he knows he's not going to overheat? And that's a biggie if you're going to be getting ready for a hot, uh, a hot race. Know what, your kind of, um, know what your limit is in terms of just being able to get rid of the heat. Sweet. So, um, any other things you want to add, or what's what's happening at Endurance Corner at the moment? Well, one final point on this: the, you get the benefit from the core block by doing the core block. Don't try and race the core block, and don't always be trying to do um, better than the time before. What what I would say is, if you just do this workout as I outline, as you're doing them season by season month by month, you're going to build up your experience and you just get the benefit by doing it. So don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to always be doing better. Save that for race day so you give yourself something. Um, so that, that's just kind of the last little bit. With endurance order, uh, let's see, what's the, big, what's the biggest thing we've got? Well, for our Tucson camp now, uh, the registration's open for that. So that's going to be late February stroke uh, early March next year. Uh, that's uh, and that's open on the website if uh, people want to sign up for that one. Uh, that's probably the key thing on Endurance Corner. I'm racing Leadville next weekend. So oh, nice. On a mountain bike, uh, and I think that'll be fun. Very good. So you're in, you're in form then? The form is good. No excuses, Johnny. There you no. go. <laughs> no, 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 no punctures out there and, or uh, no sort of, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how you're doing that. Mountain biking is incredible. My bike explodes about once a week. I, I just all kinds of 
mechanicals and different things, but that's part of the sport. I mean, everybody just, you know, if you ride hard, things going to break. Um, and, but it's, and so how long is it, lo- I mean, I know, how long is it roughly going to take you, you to do? Uh, well, I, don't, I, I don't really know. I mean, on Strava, my, my segments, my uphill segments are as good as all the Cat One guys because I, I adapt well to altitude. <laughs> I'm picking your downhills aren't going to be anywhere <laughs> close. <laughs> you know, Johnny, so that get crushed on the downhills. Like they, these, it's like I, you know, it's like two miles, and they're they're putting four minutes into me and stuff like that. So that's really the that's really the, the question that needs to be answered. So I, you know, I'm confident on my stamina. My climbing's going great, and it's how fast can I go downhill um, without feeling like I'm putting my family in jeopardy. <laughs> Guys, descend. Uh, I mean, they don't even touch the brakes. They just, uh, they got skills, man. It's, it's great. awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, Gordo, and um, we'll look forward to having some more regular catch-ups with you and the team from Endurance Corner. So as Gordo said, uh, all these articles, thousands of articles up on great, great work. endurancecorner.com. What'd you think? Outstanding. Yeah, Gordo's always good. He is always good. He's, he's a bit of a deep thinker, Gordo, isn't he? Yep. Just keeps things relatively simple, and uh, way you go. So check out uh, those guys at endurancecorner.com if you want to find out some more stuff on Gordo and the thousands of articles they've got up there. Okay, let's just do an intro. John's uh, history, history lesson. lesson. Okay, so last week we talked about the brought, early years. Brought to you by trainingpeaks.com. And we talked to you about the early years from pretty much from 78 through to around 70, 82. And, and if anything, 82 was a significant moment in the sport really, wasn't it? And why was it significant? Well, because the ABC published, um, well not published, had the TV program showing Iron Man. And that was the year that Julie Moss fell over at the finish line, mm-hmm. which kind of, there was an explosion in the sport from that moment forward, wasn't totally. there? You know, it went from being a very, very niche sport to kind of going up to that next level of, you know, probably not a resemblance of what it is today, but over the next five or six years, it really turned into what we know today, didn't it? It is. So we're, we're looking here at 1983 to 1988, and this was really when Dave Scott stamped his foot on uh, on dominating this race. And 1983 took it out in 9.05, only, um, only 30 Three seconds in front of Scott Tinley. Oh, nice. And Mark Allen was back there in third. 84, he took it out now, again. Now, if, again, if you haven't listened to the latest Legends podcast, it was interesting talking to Mark Allen about that. He didn't realise he was going to do that well, do that well did he? No. Yeah. No, he didn't. No. Uh, 84, Scott Tinley took it out. Uh, Dave Scott took it out from Scott Tinley, but more convincing there. Um, and first time we could see an, a sub nine hour on Coney, went 8.54. Wow. Nice. Got Tinley second, Grant Boswell from the States in third. What's cool about all these races, John, from 83 through to 88, every year got faster. Oh, no. no I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> 83 to 86. Uh, 1985, Scott Tinley's uh, took it out in 8.50 from Chris Henshaw. And the first time I think we may have seen a non-American on the podium, maybe Carl Kupfelschmidt in 9.26. Sweden. From uh, that was oh, Switzerland. Sorry. Um, 86, Dave, uh, Dave Scott took it out again. Big jump in time. He went from um, down to 8.28. So his two years previous, he'd been 8.54 and then dropped down to 8.28. Being so, John, Mark so Allen. how do you think he would have done that? Because, you know, like at this stage, Mark had been winning, I mean, Dave Scott had been winning, you know, Kona six years or for around, he'd been around for a long time. So he's a well established athlete to lose 
an extra 20 minutes, 22 minutes in Kona. I've got a research task for you while I keep talking. Okay, go. uh, I wonder what the first year it was that Kona was was held in Kona. We oh, moved okay. from the Big Island. I, I wonder if it was 1986. So Mark Allen was second. Oh, okay. he, he was eight minutes back, and Scott Timley was third in nine hours 37. 1987 was uh, Dave Scott again in 8.34, again beating Mark Allen. And again, another non-American on the podium, Greg Stewart from Australia, legend. Um, was sub he? nine. I've never heard of him before. That's the no, first no, time I've no. heard him, but he must be if he got on the podium. And then not good old 1988 was when Scott Molina took it out and what was a pretty close race with Mike Pig. We've had both those guys on the Legends podcast and he took him out by just over two minutes and Ken Glar was only another sort of five minutes back so pretty close racing so it's an 83 to 88 for the guys on the girls 1983 it was uh, 83 and 84 was when the Puntos twins took it out Sylvian Puntos took it out in 83 and 84 and her sister Patricia took it out um, took second place both those years as well and relatively close races only uh only a handful of minutes both times, but kind of cool. But like the Brownies going first and second, one sister just a little bit stronger than the other. 85, Joanne Ernst took it out from Elizabeth Bowman and first time we saw Paul and Newby Fraser turning up on the, the podium in 10.31. Next year she came back and went 9.49s. 86, that was she went 9.49. Took out the Sylvan Puntos by four minutes. 87, Erin Baker had her first victory in 9.35 from Sylvian Puntos and Paul Newby Fraser back in third. And then Paul Newby Fraser took it out again in 1988 in 9.01 from Erin Baker and Kirsten Hansen. It's interesting, isn't it? If you look at the men's race in that whole time period, you only had two guys out of the States in the top three. Mm. Whereas if you look at the female race, it was more international. You had Australian, you had New Zealander, Canadian, South African, was and Zimbabwean, American. maybe even. Oh, yeah, Zimbabwe, sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, like it was, a, it seemed to have attracted a female field more. Definitely. Wonder why? It's, yeah. So then if we, if we based your theory based on that it changed over at 96, 86, I think you're right because if you look at the females race, I can't find it, the internet's gone down, but if you look at the female race, um, it was a significant jump in 86 as well. Yeah, so it, it was literally like 50 minutes, yeah. or no, 40 minutes. So We'll do our piece. We'll come back to this next month, uh, next week, yep. and we'll, we'll find out for you then. But uh, 1986 was a significant jump in, in, in pace. So And going back to that whole Dave Scott just kept getting better. It really was. It was the era of Dave Scott, and it was the beginning of the Have you got last week's show notes around? Uh, I don't, do you, am I going to lose this if I go back? Uh, no. Oh, wait, I'll pull them up. So last week we talked about how you know Dave Scott got faster and faster. So I'm just pulling up last week's show notes, and it doesn't want to come up. Oh, here it is, Dave Scott. So in '82, oh no, sorry, in '80 he won in nine twenty-four. So pretty much in eight years, he took an hour off his time. Nice. Which I suppose. No, he was just a machine. He really was. And by the end of it, he took an hour 20 off, didn't mm. he? Because the next year he went basically another 20 minutes faster. So Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, this week's history lesson. Kona from 1983 to 1988. I wonder who Julie Olsen is nowadays. That's your, that's your project. Okay. There you go, you go find that. Sponsor. It's TrainingPeaks.com. It's been, the, the history lesson has been brought to you by TrainingPeaks.com. Uh, last week we talked a bit about nutrition. This week, um, adding metrics. So if you want to, you know, take the full 
capture of what you're doing rather than just looking at the exact training, adding the metrics uh, can be a really powerful thing. So with that, you simply go onto each day, you click on uh, that day, and then you can add in the metrics, you know, muscle soreness, sleep, motivation, and all that uh, information can then be put into a chart, and you can really start to see any trends that might be happening. Also, you can track your weight in there. Um, so... Bevan's just run away. It's very hard talking when there's nobody here. You're actually pretty good with the sponsors. I can do it in the sponsor, I've decided. (laughs) So get on there, add your metrics, and that can just add that extra element to your analysis of whether a build-up's gone well, whether it's gone poorly, whether you start to see any trends with your weight. You know, if your weight starts to get really low and you start to either perform well or start to perform poorly, it can sometimes start to explain things when you're trying to figure out the puzzle that is is triathlon training. So check out, um, what is it? Trainingpeaks.com, get... Start analysing your metrics. Thank you guys, check, check, check it out, trainingpeaks.com. Questions and answers. Okay, so John's brought up some questions here and I'm going to answer them this week. What are they? James Slade, yep. running off the bike. Yep, Hi I guys. did that sometimes. Yep. When running off the bike, is it best to A, hold back even though you feel good, B, aim to hold a consistent pace throughout regardless of how you feel, or C, push it when you feel good and ease back when you don't? Is there a run strategy that pros follow or is it very a very individual approach. Any advice on this would be great. Okay, John, I would start the answer by saying, first of all, we're talking about Ironman here. Yes, we're going to specify think, that. I think, what's his name? Uh, James, James Slade. I don't, I don't have this email in front of me. James, you definitely want a strategy and you definitely want to conserve. So you basically want to try to figure out what kind of pace you want to be aiming to run in the marathon. And by this stage, hopefully by now, within your training times, you've done a few halves, you should have a bit of a gauge around where that is. And then ideally, you want to be kind of setting some pace, goal paces around that speed going into the race. But you also have to be responsive to what your body's telling you. Mm-hmm. Is that good, John? Sort of. What if your body's telling you to rip it in the first K, though? No, well, responsive as in if it's fatiguing. So if you're setting your pace times, so if you're saying, okay, I think I can run a three-hour marathon in a nightmare, which most people probably couldn't, but let's just say you could. And then you know your pace times is for that, and you're feeling pretty fresh and good. Go for it, you know, sit on that pace. If you're sitting at that pace and you feel like you're dying, you're probably going to have to back it off a little bit. Yep, so I think, you know, rather, often people set zones, um, yeah. but I tend to say, st- you know, set upper limits um, rather than zones, and that sort of fits in with what Bevan said is, uh, you know, you might uh, say, right, best-case scenario, I'm going to sit, sit at, five-minute Ks. Um, so you wouldn't go any quicker than five-minute Ks, but if you're feeling crappy and you're having to sort of battle through a bit, hey, you might be a little bit slower. But I think that's the main thing for Ironman racing is to set an upper limit for at least the first third, if not the, I generally say at least the first half, but at least the first third, um, and just don't just don't cross over it. No matter what happens, don't cross over it. You should have, as Bevan said, a, a realistic idea of what is really possible on best-case scenario. And if you... If you if you've done a three thirty marathon and you think and and a fairly good run and you think you're going to run three forty, you're dreaming. Um, unless you've, your running has improved significantly, so you should have a bit of a grasp. Otherwise, you should be on the John Newsom three year plan. Well, I think most people who are who are new to Ironman, um, if you there's so many caveats in there because the first thing is have you done the yards and training? You know, mm. if if you've done the yards and training and you've raced to the point to the start of the run wisely, so you haven't smashed the bike. You're gonna feel pretty good in the first part of the marathon. That's you know, oh, yeah. the, often the, 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 you know you get off the bike because normally I found an Ironman that pretty much the last 20 k's of the bike was just you're over it. It's not that I couldn't push the pace; you're just a little bit over it, and you want to get off the bike. And then what you tend to find is you get off the bike and it's just nice to be doing something else. You just mm-hmm. feel fresh. Your body's in a different position. You, you're using slightly different muscle groups, and so you can use a bit more glute, which is good. And so 
you just feel kind of good. And, and that's actually the downfall is to go, no, I need to have some control around this. And that's when kind of having a gauge of where your ability sits, you know, to, as John says, if you know that you've ran a three, three and a half marathon, a normal marathon, well, aiming for that target's probably going to be a failure in an Ironman, well, almost definitely. And so you really want to go, okay, well, maybe I could hit like a 3.50 to a four-hour marathon, okay? What would be that pace? And then you just, you just run by the Ks, you know, check, yeah. check out your watch and just make sure you're sitting on it. And like I know when I was racing, that's all I was ever doing is running to pace. And then mm. you get to that point in the race where it became a battle and, you know, that's when it becomes a different game. So if you're feeling good early on, chill out. Do some high fives, enjoy the crowd, look at the pros probably coming the other way. And I suppose Fun. if anything, focus on efficiency. Mm. So in that early stage, you really want to focus on efficient movement. So if you don't know much about that, do some reading and do some, some drills on how you can teach your body to run efficiently so that you're saving energy that will make you last longer for longer in the race. And get some fuel in because chances are when you in the second half of the marathon, then it becomes increasingly difficult to get fuel in. Your tolerance for anything um, becomes harder and harder. So getting it in while you're feeling good is, is the way to go. And it's also that fuel you put in now is what you get half an hour from now so exactly. or later on at least. So. Next question, John? That was it. We're just having one question. Oh, okay. I've got a discussion then. Okay. So we're just on John. Was no. Just, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I know you can do it, but my answer is no. Well, that, that ruins the discussion. Okay, okay, we'll go along with it. But in New Zealand, there, a few years ago, there was just because we're kind of getting a little bit more time, there was a couple that basically got West Bank, which is one of our banks, to transfer $100,000 into their bank account, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's all good. They, they had, a, I think, a business, a small business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The bank transferred $10 million into their bank account. So what mm-hmm. you do, John, what would you do? I would return the money. You bring the bank, say, look, there's been a problem. Been a problem. Not this couple. Not this they couple. skipped the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way they went. They had to make a movie out of this. <laughs> the way they went, they went to somewhere like Hong Kong, didn't they? Yeah. And uh, and they head out. And then about a year and a half later, the, the wife came back. Yeah. She said, I can't handle it anymore. She cracked. She cracked. And then she told her husband, basically. And eventually they found a husband. Now, the bank saying that, uh, that basically Westpac recovered $2.9 million of the stolen money. Um, after they fled in 2009, and they're still seeking another 3.79 million. It's still outstanding. So he's got 3.8 million sitting somewhere in the world. Mm. Now, they've just been sentenced. She mm. got about 11 months home detention because she basically knocked on him. He's got four years. So the question is, John, which you've already ruined for me. Yeah. The question is would you go to jail for four years if you get paid $3.8 million? No. Would you? Seriously. Well, four years. No, money doesn't buy you happiness. No, but jail, jail could be fun because what you could do is you go, okay, you go to jail, <laughs> get a university degree. They pay for your university degree, don't they? Put that, put that on a T-shirt. We should have a new Iron Man talk to Iron Talk T-shirt. Jail could be fun. Jail could be fun. <laughs> According yeah, you, to Bevan, you get to play basketball all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> and then you come out, you retire. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, so I'd probably do it, John. Okay, four cool. years. If, if anyone, if any listener wants to give me four million dollars, I'll send you a postcard. Yeah, you can send me a postcard. Nowadays, you could probably do the podcast from jail. Yeah, you know, because you don't have TV in jail. Are you allowed the internet? I don't know. Yeah, um, I'd probably yeah. do my research. If you don't have the internet, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, there no. we go. The internet's anyway. worth four million to you over four years. Oh, see, that that, that puts it in a different perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> Maybe I would. 
Uh, so sponsor Extreme Endurance. Of course, we always talk about the Extreme Endurance um, tablets, which uh, reduce your lactic acid and reduce muscle you know soreness. We don't even need to talk about it. You guys love it. We they get do. so much feedback from you guys saying it's so great. But then one of their new products is the Execute, which is the energy and recovery sports drink. It's something I've been playing around with a little bit. It's just bloody tasty. It's just like a chocolate milkshake. It was it's good, not, wasn't It's it? not crunchy. We have, these, we have the breakfast oh, cereal in New Zealand, which is a coconut so I was actually bombs. thinking... I was actually thinking that in between this show and the next show, I could make you a protein shake. Okay. Because I got berries. Because once I went to John's house years ago, yeah. after a run, he goes, you want a shake? And I said, yeah. And yeah. It was pretty generous. So you, used to, yeah. you used to feed me a little bit. It was good. Yeah. yeah. Often give me a little bit of small chips. Yeah. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. You got some chips. And John pulled out the berries. Oh, and you made a berry smoothie. I know. And I was, I was like, John must be rich because berries aren't cheap. But then I went to this pack and save a couple of weeks ago. Berries are cheap. No, I wouldn't say they're cheap. Six dollars for a bag? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, so you don't need many. It gets you for a week. Yeah, easy. And so anyway, so if we were to add the berries to the chocolate shake... Well, I, did, I recently did that with the Phil and Ada. He came around. We had um, a, oh, so even a, Phil's had a, bit a of your banana shake. chocolate berry smoothie. I saw Phil and Ada this morning. Actually, do you know mm. what? What? You ever seen the courage rice? Yeah. Grandma. <laughs> Grandma's <laughs> coming. And, and you know what's funny? It is his grandmother's car. Oh, really? Not his grandmother's, his mother's. He bought, I think he bought it off his mother. <laughs> I thought it must have been like a really bad company car. Is it, is it his car? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it creeped me up. I was like, there's a fiddle lady. What's that car? So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good work. He's been listening. We're listening to loving this. We'll call it the Jaffa. The Red Jaffa. Here yeah. we go. So, um, execute. Uh, Kickstart your training with execute. Fuel and rebuild. Lactate to fuel your muscles. Protein to rebuild and protect against muscle breakdown. So, I basically use it as a, as a post training. Um, smoothie I chuck it in with milk or either just mix it in with milk in the old execute bottle which has got the old gizmo in it and mm. uh, that sort of shakes it around or I put it what in was a it smoothie called? I think it was called a gizmo or what was gizmo? a whiz jig or a whatever <laughs> a I don't know um, anyway so check out execute on extremeendurance.com great for your recovery great for your training greater muscle recovery and repair provides continuing an energy source and decreases a muscle burn if you use that in conjunction with extreme endurance the the tablets, you'll be on fire. Very Remember good. the codes. If you want to get the Amiga Vital, use the code Amiga Talk. And I go to go to I am talk <laughs> go to I am talk dot me, and I've got a special page with all our promo codes. Hey, John, Jumbo, this is why shake. I wanted to go out for a bike ride in the middle to just to break it up a little bit. Are you going for a bike ride? Yeah, but it'll be the end of the day. Oh, come I've on! Got things to do. So have I. <laughs> so Jumbo, yes, sponsors, Extreme Endurance, yes. Athlinks.com. Yes. And Coffees of Hawaii. Yes. So, Jumbo, do you know what I did this week? What? The Bimberg speech. That's a few weeks ago now, Bimberg. I know, I know, but now we're. So, you're going to talk about that now, not. On yeah, because I have something else to talk about by next okay. week. Okay. But yeah. by Tuesday, two weeks ago, I'll yeah. have that. Yeah. So, I did my big speech. I, I did a talk for a big conference. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit nervous because mm-hmm. I designed it. Because when you do speaking, you basically kind of have the talk you do, mm-hmm. and over time you might add more to it. So basically, up to the, I do quite a bit of speaking, and so um, I, I, know, I have three talks that I do. But this mm-hmm. this talk was a new talk. It was a really important talk, and I thought I'll do a new talk and design a new talk. So I was pretty nervous because it was kind of stepping up a level for mm-hmm. me in speaking. Mm-hmm. It was a big conference for a big company, and. Um, and I designed a new talk, and it went down really well. So I was you ripped really, it. Yeah, it was good because you know I like it made me realize I'm not challenging myself much in my life right now because mm. I woke up in the morning and I was really nervous, and mm. I, and I love being nervous. Like nervousness to me means I'm doing something that's challenging me, 
and um, and I haven't had much in the last six months, so it's definitely something I need to kind of put back in my life. But very good. The speech went really well. But at the speech, the night of my speech, they had Graham Henry, who's the All Black captain, mm-hmm. no coach, coach, sorry, who won the World Cups. And I, because I was like a VIP, mm. your VRP, let's kick it. Yeah. Um, I was at the table sitting next to Graham, so I, was, yeah. I really got to talk to him next all that night. And it was really interesting listening to the depth that the All Blacks go into to be successful. Oh, it yeah. was phenomenal. Was a very good organisation. Oh, it was just he was talking. He talked. He did talk to everybody, and he was talking about it then. But the All Blacks. He was saying over the last twenty years, the All Blacks have been the most successful sporting team in the world. Mm-hmm. Statistically, they've won more games than any other team in any other sport. It's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's not a, it's not a world dominating sport, but it's, no, but it's, it's not a minor it's, sport. It's not a minor, not a minor, minor you know, sport. Yeah, yeah, like it's a be you know, like it's a you know, it's a professional sport where lots of people. And you're saying, and this is giving the Poms a hard time. New Zealand have 140,000 registered rugby players. Mm. England has a million, mm. and you're saying England should be. The best by a country mile, mm. but he was just saying how how the pressure. He was talking about the pressure of being the All Blacks, and he's saying how the All Blacks they just have so much pressure on them to win. You mm. know, like he was saying, like we have to stop at the lights, and someone would say, "Come on, Graham, you got to win the World Cup." Like you know, just everyone was always at his case, and that's just the world you live in as being an All Black. And he was saying, but that's the reason the All Blacks are the best mm. because the pressure that's on the All Blacks to just consistently perform is so high that they just have to really evolve. It was it was really interesting. And it was interesting. And like, I love talking to people who their job is to make other people perform. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting talking to him because he was an ex-principal. And yeah. so I was interested to talk to him around what, you know, what did he learn being a principal around, you know, how did he take that into his coaching career? And he said he taught in, I think it was in Dunedin, he was a principal. Yeah, it was Auckland Grammar. Oh, it was Auckland Grammar, was mm. it? And, and it was a very multicultural school. And if anything, by the end of it, he um, it was very Samoan-based. And he was saying mm. that it was really interesting with the kids from Samoa, like, they love touch. Mm. They want, You wouldn't even tell them that, but, the, you know, they want to be touched and you want to kind of be aggressive with your touch with them. Mm. And also, like, for the Samoan boys, you never say them be the best player in the world. So like a Richie McCaw, who is the All Black captain, if you sit down with Richie, you say, mate, you want to be the best player in the world. You know, and here's how you want to do it. And that would drive Richie. You always want to be the best player in the world. To a guy like Nonu, who was an All Black Samoan player, mm-hmm. brilliant player, but often go away in his career. Mm-hmm. And Graham said to him, you never said about being the best player. It was never about the individual. It was always about the team. Mm. You know, you want to be in the part of the best team ever. You want to be a part. And it was interesting you're saying, you know, one of the great things about New Zealand rugby is we have five or six different cultures that make us great. But the hard thing is, is to make sure that works. And it was mm. interesting talking to him about the skill set around. It was just, I felt really privileged to sit down with a guy who probably goes down as the most successful coach of all time based on statistics by one point by one game yeah, by yeah, one point yeah, if yeah. he hadn't he'd be one of the biggest and that's what failures. he was saying like, he was saying you know oh, the only reason I'm here is because I won that game like you wouldn't have yeah. had me up here if I didn't win this game yeah. And uh, but but even then you know statistically probably the greatest rugby coach of all time and it was a real privilege just to sit down with this guy and kind of dig into his mind but it just when you talk when he talked about the processes and the team and everything they did to make it successful it was it was pretty yeah. awesome. It was pretty lucky. They're a good organisation. Yeah. What have you been up to? Um How was that bike ride a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, that bike ride was fantastic. <laughs> uh where are you now? You're back in Christchurch? How'd that ten K go last weekend? What's the date today? It must be the eleventh of uh yeah, no, I smoked it. I ran the thirty four flat on a on a on a on a very hilly tough course. So we're talking a second ago, thirty four flat. Yeah, on that course is quite is okay. That's good. maybe under thirty four. Nice. Yeah. We were talking about Lance Armstrong's no longer going to fight the thing. 
When did that going to actually happen? When does this the case is weeks happen? old now, Bevan. No, this no, but I know, old. I know. So we're reading it. I'm reading something here on the 24th of the 8th, saying Lance Armstrong saying, "Look, I'm not going to fight. You know, it's going to go to court. I'm not going to, you know, whatever." When does it go to court? You're asking me questions. I don't oh. know the answer to, Bevan. Well, you're, you're my knowledge, John. Yeah, well, it'll be a while yet. Oh, okay. Well, we it'll so, be a while. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, pretty much this week's show. I'm Russ. I'm Eno. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.